Uh, welcome back to our series, Home for Christmas. Um, we've decided for some reason to use the book of Revelation as our Christmas series. Yeah, it was a questionable choice. But it's kind of fun. It's cool. We're, we're going through this book, and, and, and there's so much just, like, if you've never read this book, you should. And it, there, there are times in it when it's hard to understand, but if you just kind of get the basic premise of what's happening, it is really, really, really incredibly beautiful, especially in a series about God calling his people home. Because Revelation is the final story of God once and for all creating the permanent home for his people. You guys may remember this was, this was written by a guy named John. And John was exiled on an island because he refused to quit talking about Jesus. And one day he's on that island. And Jesus Christ himself, not six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus, like Jesus with all his glory and power, shows up to John and begins to reveal some things to John. Hence the word revelation. Because John is being, is being shown things. Things are being revealed to him. And, and Jesus is showing him what it's going to look like when the groom, Christ, forever and ever calls his bride, us, the church, home. And so in this book of Revelation, you see these letters to these seven churches. And we believe that we can, we can take these letters written to churches thousands of years ago in Asia, that we can take these letters and apply them to our lives here today. And remember, guys, this, this is critical. When we talk about the church, we are not talking about the building we worship in. Does anyone know who the church is? You. You are the church. For better or for worse, this is it. Like, we are the church. The local church is the way Christ is bringing hope to the world, and that is us. And so when we read a letter to the church, we are reading a letter to me and to you. He's calling us home. And so we're going through these letters, and we're just seeing what Christ is saying. And, and, and last week was, was, was cool. We talked about uh, the church at Ephesus. And I was thinking as I was preparing for this week, I feel like this year I've preached some heavy sermons. Y'all probably have thought it's been super light and fun, but there's been times when you might not have left here encouraged. Maybe you left here convicted or, or concerned or, you know, which is fine. I mean, those are all important things. But the letters I read this week, and I didn't read them in order because I don't think in order or move in order. I didn't read them in order. But the letters I read this week were letters of encouragement. And with everything that's happened in our community and in this coaching search, I thought maybe we needed some encouragement. <laughs> It's not given. <laughs> Sissies. Are any of y'all on Twitter? Man, people are crazy on there right now about this coaching surge, but whatever. All right, so I just thought maybe we needed some encouragement today. So the letters we're reading today are incredibly encouraging, and we're going to start with the letter to the church at Smyrna. And it's in Revelation 2.8, and it says this. To the angel, and that translates to the pastor, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, right, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and who came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and they're not, but they're in the synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears... Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. All right, the first thing I noticed when I was reading the letters this week is how Christ introduces himself. 
And I think this is important because we need to know who he is. Like, if, if we're coming home and we've been away, I think it's important to know who we're coming home to. If, if the bride is going to be forever united with the groom, I think it's important for the bride and groom to get to know each other a little bit. And so in these passages, as Christ writes these letters to these churches, he introduces himself in certain ways. And as I read these this week, for like with new eyes, I guess, um, I was humbled and hopeful by the way Christ refers to himself. Revelation 2.8, listen to this. He says, to the angel at the church at Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and who came to life again. All right, the first thing you need to know is this. When he says these are the words of him who is the first and the last, that is a title reserved for God himself. Like only God calls himself the first and the last. And then Jesus steps in and he's talking to John and he introduces himself as the first and the last. What he's saying there is something you need to get. He is one with God. He shares the power of God. And so the very first thing we need to know, we're coming home to one who is one with God and who holds the power of God. That alone is a pretty good person to come home to. I promise you the dishes will be clean, right? He's preparing a beautiful place for us. But, but he goes on and says, I am the first and the last. And this week I just sat in that for a little bit and it gave me so much hope. Like he is the first and he is the last. He comes before and after. So he knows, like he knows, he's anticipated everything we're going to face, and he has prepared a plan to help us face it. Before you ever had that struggle, he knew the struggle was coming, and he was preparing a plan to rescue you in the midst of your struggle. I mean, I, I was thinking about, like, Jesus right now is in heaven, and he's smiling with his buddies and anticipating something I'm going to enjoy a million years from now. He's like, guys, watch this. Tommy's fixing to have that joy we talked. Remember, remember like four billion years ago, I told you Tommy was about to have this joy? Watch it. Here it comes. Now look at him. He's, he's laughing like a goon down there. He's having such a good time. He's anticipated the joy you are about to have, and he's laughing in expectation of it. How cool is that? But not only that, he's anticipated the pain you're about to have, and he's already prepared a plan to nurture you through it. He didn't will it on you. He didn't want it for you. He created a perfect world. The world was broken. That's, he, he, what he did was right and good. He didn't create people walk in and say, oh, that was God's will for you. That wasn't God's will for you. That is a broken world where bad things happen. But in the midst of that, God before the beginning of time was preparing to walk with you through that pain so that you would never be alone because he came before it and he's with you after it. There's power in that. There's hope in that. There's hope in knowing he has anticipated it and he is prepared for it whether I am or not. I like that. And that gives me hope. But it also humbles me a little bit. Because we give ourselves a lot of titles and we place a lot of importance on things that are not eternal. And the only thing we're ever really going to do that's going to matter eternally is surrender our lives to Jesus Christ and honor him. He says, have you ever played that game where mainly with little kids where they're like, infinity? You're like 7,000, they're like, infinity, and infinity wins the game because you can't say anything beyond. He's the only person who can really say infinity. He's like, no, I got this one. Done. I'm forever. 
And this God, who is the, the first and the last, it says, he died and is alive again. How many times in church have we said this? Christ has died and rose again. Like eight billion so many that maybe it loses a little of the power and the authority that that statement makes. So this week, God just, I don't know, did this for me in a new way in my brain. So he died. The God who is life, the author of life, the creator of life, the one who, who is life, he took on death. He became death. He died. And then he defeated it. Do you all know Christ shares every temptation that we've experienced? Like he understands it. You want to know true temptation? Give me all the power in the world and you will see a tempted man. He had all the power in the world. He could do anything. That's the ultimate temptation. He knows your pain. He's been abused. He's been tortured. He's been neglected. He's been abandoned. He's been made fun of. His worst day. This is the difference between me and you and Jesus. On his worst day, the world threw the nuclear option at him. And on his worst day, he died. Let me ask you this. Did any of you die on your worst day? Raise your hand if you're dead. I just want to take a quick poll. Sometimes I wonder. <laughs> We're all alive, right? So what that tells me is, on your worst day, you have not experienced what he experienced on his worst day. And he wrestled his worst day for three days. For three days he was dead. And then on the third day, he stepped out and said, world, you have taken your best shot at me, and I have won because I am the best. He wrestled the worst the world had to offer, and he destroyed it. That's pretty powerful stuff. He died, and he is alive again. And when this God says in verse 10, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer, I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as a victor's crown. He says, be patient. You're going to suffer. But don't worry, because I'm on the other side of it. And so many times I encounter people, and I say, man, don't worry. It's going to be okay. I don't really have the authority to say that. I don't know if it's going to be okay or not. People come to me about their marriage, I say, it's, it's going to be okay. This is why people don't, I don't do much counseling. They come to me, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I, I don't really have the authority to tell you that. That's the secret. I say it's going to be okay because it makes me feel good. It ends the conversation a little quicker. But I don't really have the authority to say it's going to be okay. <laughs> I don't. It's better than what Chris and Katie say. They're just like pros and cons, pros and cons when they went into conversation. <laughs> I don't have the authority to say that. But the one who is first and last and who died in his back life, he has the authority to say that. And so when he steps into your situation and says, I know you are suffering. Gosh, I know you are suffering. But stand strong because I'm on the other side. He has seen the other side. He has the authority to say it. He has the authority to say, be patient in persecution. And if he asks for your life, he has the authority for it because he's the author of life. And if he asks you to stand strong even until death, he has the authority because he overcame death. And if he's asked you to turn your back on the world for him, he has the authority because he has defeated the world. This is the king we're coming home to. This is the king we're coming home to. The king who holds the authority. 
Then he writes a letter to his church at Philadelphia, and I love this one too, man. Revelation 3, 7, and it says this. To the angel, to the pastor of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. This right here, I, I cannot get through this verse without just stopping in it. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. That is so good, God. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you kept my word and you've not denied my name. I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is coming to the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven for my God. And I will write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Gosh, I love this. He starts by saying, I am the one who is holy and true. Y'all know what holy means? Set apart. Different. Sacred. Special. I love it when Jesus is direct. He just says, I am the one who's holy. Like we can be made holy. He is holy. We're only holy because we're in his presence. Apart from his presence, we're dead. And he says, I am holy, powerful. And then he says, I am true. Have y'all ever had an encounter with God that hurt? I have. Like, painful encounter with God. Where you came face to face with God in some situation and suddenly you became aware of, of your sin or you became aware of some great pain or you became aware of something in your past that you hadn't yet overcome. You ever had one of those encounters? Do you know why you have those encounters with God? Because truth hurts. Truth can occasionally be painful. And when you are face to face with Christ, when you are in those moments where you actually suspend our desire to justify, manipulate, and change, and we just open ourselves to Christ, we open ourselves to truth, and occasionally truth is painful, and it's not always what we want to hear. And in those moments, Christ is doing something incredible in us. It's not the kind of truth that leaves you destroyed. It's the kind of truth that brings life to places that were dead. But he is truth. And so if he says it, he means it. Truth is his character. It's who he is. I love this. And this is what he tells his church in verse 10. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come to the whole world. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. God tells us to endure patiently. When you're enduring something, it doesn't always mean you're enjoying it, does it? Like, I endured geometry. The freshman beside me enjoyed it. She's the reason I passed. <laughs> it is what it is, guys. You got to find ways to get by. Enduring something is different. He says, endure patiently. Endure patiently. Like, 
with faith in me. And I don't have the authority to walk up to you in your situation and say, just be patient. God is coming. I will say that to you, but I don't really have the authority to say that to you. He does have the authority to say that to you. The one who says, if I open a door, no one can shut it. He has the authority to say that to you. And I read that verse this week, just that one line, if I open a door, no one can shut it. And I was so incredibly convicted and humbled. Because I have worried more about this church this year than I have ever worried about this church in my life, in 10 years of preaching here. I've worried so much, not, not like, like building buildings with debt produces a lot of worry. And I know it's wrong to worry. Y'all can convict me after this, but I've worried. I've worried about the debt. Leaving this Methodist thing has not been easy for me. Uh, it has not made me very popular in a system I used to be in. And so I've worried about that. When you get bigger, it doesn't always mean people like you more. And you can't be everywhere, and so more people say things about you, and the humanity in me hurts when I hear something or whatever. You know, I've worried. And I know it's wrong. Like, I know it's wrong, but I have worried. There is a human side to me, and I have worried. And then I read a verse where Jesus says, hey, listen, if I have opened the door, no one will shut it. And he's like, Tommy, the door is open in this community. You just walk through it, and you let me handle everything else. And not one second of my worry... (laughs) Not one second of my worry has made my ministry any more powerful. I mean, not one second of my worry has brought anybody to church. I've been like my mom, just worried. Like, not one second. I blame myself for your worry. That's how bad it's gotten in my... One, it hasn't done anything in my life. And then God says so clearly in a verse that I've read before, but I guess I just tossed it because I wasn't ready for it. I opened it this week, and God said, if I open the door, son, you walk through it, no one can shut it. And so what is God calling you to do? Walk through the door. For some of you, that's just another step in faith. It's like you're, you're, kinda, you're, you're right there at the threshold and the door is open and you want to walk through it, but you got some doubts and God's saying, if I open that door, no one will shut it. You walk through, I opened it for you. For some of you, it's time to start inviting people again. Guys, this place is big. Look around. And I see plenty of empty seats Because for too many of us, myself included, there are seasons when we become so inward-faced where we forget there's still a world that needs the seats we just paid for. And so maybe the door that's open for you is that person at Sonic or the person at the cafe or the person at the gas station to be bold and brave and say, hey, listen, why don't you come to church with me next Sunday? I mean, don't be weird. Don't be weird. You know? Just be cool. Be like the Fonz. Y'all let me handle the weird. Y'all be cool. <laughs> they expect me to be weird. Y'all can be sneaky. <laughs> really, like, it's time to start inviting people again. When is the last time you looked at somebody and said, hey, come join me this Sunday? The door is open in this community, and we better walk through it. Maybe there's a door open in your home to bring peace in your relationship. Maybe you and your spouse have just been at each other. Maybe it's time to walk through the door. God is saying, I opened that door and no one can shut it. 
Maybe it's time to start worshiping like you believe God is real. The door is open. No one can shut it. Maybe it's time to start giving like you believe God is real. The door is open. No one can shut it. Maybe it's time to start serving. The door is open. No one can shut it. God has opened a door. But here's what he says to the letters in every single church. He says, if you don't do what I'm telling you to do, I will come and I will remove the lamp from the lampstand. And if the Holy Spirit is removed from this place, this place dies. It won't matter how much junk we've got. If the Holy Spirit is gone, we will have no power. We will die in a big metal box together. The door is open. This is what God's been telling me all week. The door is open. But you know what he doesn't tell me? How long he'll hold it open. What's God calling you to do, man? What's the conversation God's calling you to have? 